0: Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Stephen Fidler. Stephen Fidler is the UK and Brexit editor of the Wall Street Journal, a position he has held since spring of this year, and before that, he was Brussels Bureau Chief of the Wall Street Journal for seven and a half years. Steve, it's we're into the 15th month now since the UK referendum on membership of the EU. It's uh, five months, is it, since uh, or even more than since uh, Theresa May triggered the Article 50 procedure, the notification, and, and we're now in, towards the end of the third round of of Brexit negotiation between Barnier Davis and their respective teams. So this conversation is going to be about taking the pulse. Is there any kind of progress to report on either side uh, after all this activity?
1: I think in, in some areas, uh, some technical areas uh, mainly, uh, there's been some progress. I think it's been probably the most pro- progress on the issues of uh, around citizens' rights in particular. Um, But there is a long, uh, what's extraordinary, I think uh, just over 20 months or whatever it is until the UK leaves on March 2019, how little we know about the eventual shape of uh, the relationship. I mean, things have become clearer about what the UK wants, but we're still in an extraordinary uncertain situation. I think businesses on both uh, sides of the English Channel, but particularly in the UK, are still really in the dark about where they're going to be, uh, you know, in March 2019, and I think that's that's remarkable given how far we, uh, how close we are to leaving.
0: There still seems to be quite a, a hard divide between EU27 and UK in terms of what the discussion should even be about. As you know, the UK wants to talk about the future relationship as much as uh, the Article 50 details. And, and Barney and his team are saying, well, let's first of all talk about the, the exit bill, the citizens' rights, as you say, and the hard border uh, in Ireland. So to what extent do you have any sympathy uh, for the UK's uh, concern that the, that the U27 are rather inflexible on that so-called sequencing?
1: Well, I think that there is, a, there is a real question about how you can conclude these four issues, or most of them, without actually having some idea of where you're going in, in, in the future. So there are questions around the uh, financial settlement, the so-called um, divorce bill, uh, will you know, in part be answered by the relationship, whether there's going to be a transition deal afterwards, what kind of uh, relationship the UK is going to have afterwards to the single market. Um, likewise, uh, questions about citizens' rights are going to be uh, related in part to the question of the European Court of Justice. Issues around separation issues, like even the B, how you treat goods that are in company supply chains at the moment of Brexit will depend on whether in March, at the end of March 2019, the UK goes into a transitional deal or what kind of arrangement it goes into. So a lot of these divorce questions that are being talked about now are uh, are wrapped up in the nature of the future relationship. So I think they cannot be fully concluded until you know we have more idea about what that future relationship is. So I think the UK has... Has a a, a point uh, there, um, and I think uh, the question from the from the EU side is, you know, when are we going to know more of from the UK about about the bill, the divorce bill, and uh, you know, the UK has to find a way to kind of present something there to the satisfaction of the uh, EU, while I think the EU has to show uh, you know a little more. Uh, flexibility, perhaps, than it has to sort of get over the question of resolving these divorce issues, um, you know, without uh, talking about the future. I think that's probably. Impossible. When you talk
0: about the becoming being clearer on the divorce bill, are you actually talking about an actual amount of money that should be specified, or just being clear about the kind of the methodology, the criteria for working out what that, that amount could be?
1: Um, I think uh, the latter. So the methodology, okay. the sort of not. I don't think there's ever going to be. A number, even they may not be even in the end of the end of the process, and you know that is something else that's absolutely going to depend on 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 the future relationship. So um, uh, yeah, but I don't, we're not going to get a number for sure um, uh, by the end of the year, and I'm, I, that's not what the EU is saying. I think when it talks about sufficient pro- progress on this issue, it doesn't want a number. Uh, that it can agree or disagree with. It wants the methodology, basically.
0: OK. Well, as you know better than I do, the UK government has been roundly criticised, uh, until recently at least, for not almost not taking the negotiations seriously and not doing enough of its homework. Uh, but then, as you know, in the past two, three weeks in August, uh, there's been a flurry of activity from the UK government side and a slew of position papers have been issued just in advance of the, this week's um, third round of negotiations. Have the publication of these position papers... Uh, help to, to to remove the idea that the UK is on the back foot is now getting more on the front foot.
1: Um, possibly to some degree. I think the problem that the UK has had the fundamental problem is the political uh, elite, the political, the people who are at the top of the Conservative Party haven't reached any fundamental agreement on what they want of the future relationship from the eu and that's so fundamental to all these discussions that, that is really that has been the problem and I think some of these position papers have have, have you know in case in some cases generated sort of useful clarifications and mm. you know in others they 've really kind of been really few you know little more than a few ideas about what you might do you know yeah. for example under customs arrangements and that kind of thing um, but you know without you know, for example, in the customs uh, case, without sort of knowing where you want the landing zone to be the sort of, uh, for the future relationship, you can't really talk about that. Uh, you know, it's all an abstract and rather technical discussion until you've made the political decisions, which it seems the government, at least up until now, hasn't been able to kind of reach
0: well, in terms of this lack of clarity you talk about in the, in the government and around the cabinet table uh, about what what the, the government actually wants to achieve. is that the main focus there uh, for, for journalists like yourself so the story the, the, the famous splits between senior uh, government uh, ministers as opposed to some of the, the substance of a p- potential negotiation and deal
1: Well, I think I mean you do want to know that I mean I, you know from a, at a, an American publication we don't need to sort of Dig into the weeds in the kind of in the detail and uh, and with the uh, in the way that the UK uh, newspapers uh, do, but we do need uh, we do need uh, political clarity before we know where the negotiations are going. I mean, I wouldn't put all the sort of onus on the sort of um, British sort of lack of preparedness because I think the EU has been able to sort of position itself as as being. Prepared and, and, and this kind of thing. And you un- unified to, as well. Yes, unified up to a point, but they haven't had to make any decisions. Um, you know, any choices between one thing or another. So they've piled a lot of kind of things on their wish lists for the negotiations. You know, at some point, assuming they want a successful outcome to this, they're going to have to make uh, uh, choices between uh, compromises between the, all the things on on their wish wish lists, and that you know that is uh, something that they. They're kind of,
0: you know, they haven't had to confront yet. On the whether it's on the UK government side or the E twenty seven side, is there a, a discernible media strategy that you can see in terms of how that both sides brief people like yourselves about what the stakes are, what the, the state of progress is? Is there, is there a strategy, to think, behind how they interact with people like yourself?
1: I think. I mean, I think the uh, EU has had a pretty clear media strategy from the beginning, and I think it's, it's uh, done quite well, you know, in terms of, in its own terms, you know, the EU has sort of widely depicted itself as better prepared and unified and all this stuff, um, whereas the UK has uh, looked a little more bedraggled, I think, and again, I think it comes down to the fact that the, the political masters have not really given, um, been able to give any, any, any strong guidance. Um, I think in the last few weeks, certainly as the negotiations have started, these papers have come out, I think there's been more willingness and openness to talk about the real issues of negotiations. Um, And uh, so, you know, I think the UK government, you know, has upped its game, is being a little more open, not only with the British press, but with a broader uh, selection of the European press. So it's not really just the... Um, the Commission and the EU whose message is, is getting out there so I think, I think um, you know and it remains to be seen the extent that the EU is, unity is tested then what will their sort of you know media strategy look like after that because fundamentally it hasn't been so they've been able to uh, it's been an easy game to play
0: I suppose we can be forgiven for seeing the negotiation in terms of the political personalities involved, certainly David Davis and Michaud Barney and plenty of others, obviously, but I presume all the heavy lifting is being done by the officials on both sides of the channel um, who are doing all the, the serious work, mm-hmm. frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, you, can you discern any signs, of the, not so much of back channels, but of, alongside the more formal discussion and negotiations with or without politicians in the room? That there are also more informal discussions taking place between the, at the civil service level between the two sides.
1: I I think there are some signs in in in, in some of the things that I said that those, those discussions are are going on. There's not going to be uh, I think the idea that somehow you can kind of peel off one or two countries from the rest. I think that's probably not a strategy that that uh, would work even if the UK were pursuing it. And there's also a question of, you know, possibly delaying a settlement. I mean, the uh, kind of disunified EU is not likely to sort of lead to a quick result in the negotiation. Um, uh, But I think, yeah, I mean, I think there are always in these kind of things. There are back channels, there are informal conversations in the corridors, there are... Uh, it's not just sitting down across the table, you know, across a lot of uh, a lot of issues. Now, I don't know how uh, how structured these these sort of channels are, how sort of strategic they are. Mm. I don't, have a, a, uh, I don't have a strong idea about how, how that is going.
0: But it is, there's also, those, you know, uh, maybe no more than a rumour, but a rumour that refuses to go away at the moment, that there'll be some kind of either manufactured or even uh, involunt- involuntary uh, breakdown of the talks, and either uh, UK will go out of the room or even the U-27. Uh, are you hearing those kind of stories?
1: Yes, I hear that from both sides, that that is something that, you know, is a real possibility of happening, and it's hard to uh, it's hard to know uh, how serious that is. Uh, certainly, um, if both sides are expecting it, it's sort of certainly not going to be a surprise. Um, and to some extent, uh, you know, I suppose it could be a tactic to kind of shock the talks into kind of some kind of movement. It could be a tactic to kind of, from the UK point of view, to sort of. You know, tell a domestic audience how far they're willing to, how tough they're willing to be in the negotiations, to get the best deal possible. Um, but yes, one one hears that, and that, you know, that's of course a danger, uh, danger in that because you know taking positions and then rowing back on them later is always or can be uh, can be a very difficult thing to do. So uh, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and and you know, we're talking, you know. Two months from now, you know, is the you know sometime perhaps around the October summit or before the October European Council meeting.
0: And is that some kind of brinkmanship, uh, trying to you know see who blinks first, or is it more a question of we need to do something dramatic at, to sort of in a very perverse way clear the air and almost start again afresh uh, on a, on a new basis the, the negotiation of Article Fifty.
1: I think it's uh, it, it could be a mixture of uh, it could be a mixture of both. I'm kind of slightly dubious of it myself (laughs) as a as a kind of tactic a successful tactic but this is what people you know reflecting what people are saying this is this is essentially you know they say both things so we could sort of use it to recharge the talks or um um you know uh, i suppose that's that must be the main the main hope
0: and once one, maybe one final question, Steve. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are saying, of course, nothing really happens now of any of any uh, importance in this in this discussion. These discussions until the German elections are out of the way uh, next month. Do you see any signs, even slight premature signs, that once uh, maybe Mrs. Merkel is re-elected, as the opinion polls seem to be predicting, that she, and uh, Mr. Macron, will get together and, and, and actually and give. Uh, Barney and Juncker and even Donald Tusk, uh, new, a new kind of steer, should we say, about how the whole uh, conduct of the uh, negotiations should uh, should be handled?
1: I haven't seen, I mean, I've heard, like you, I've heard, you know, discussions about it. I haven't seen any hard evidence that that's going to be the case. I think in the German case, it's going to depend on what kind of coalition comes right. out of the uh, elections or whether it's a continued grand coalition or whether... Or whether the the Christian Democrats can 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 form a, a governing coalition with, say, the uh, FDP. So the nature of that coalition is is is, is critical, um, and I suppose it's a possibility that they come back with a with with you know some new ideas. I don't know whether it's the 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 priority. I certainly wouldn't, if I was sitting in Whitehall, be kind of pinning all my hopes <laughs> on that as a as a uh, as an outcome. There is another thing that. <clears throat> You hear in Brussels that sort of, uh, you know, is delaying things, and that's the party conference season in the right. in the UK, and in particular the the uh, Conservative Party conference in in uh, you know early October, where
0: and playing to the gallery, playing to the party faithful. Yeah, yes.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's the question there is. Is uh, you know can she make uh, can she make significant kind of political may. this is mrs may. may yes can she make significant political uh, concessions ahead of that um, or political you know statements ahead of that? Um, some people in Brussels doubt that I mean we also hear in the u k that she will make a major speech in September. Which will kind of be at the be, party
0: conference or outside. Well before. before, so
1: so the party conference isn't completely dominated by the issue of Brexit. Right. Okay. Um, in which she will kind of um, retool the Lancaster House speech, which was mm. which was basically the basis for uh, you know the government's position up until now.
0: Okay. Well, we have to leave it there, Stephen Fidler. Thank you very much for your time. Pleasure.